Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Every day in America, approximately 22 veterans, first responders, or crime victims commit suicide. That number is a staggering amount and constantly increasing. Get involved in offering solutions to the men and women who so bravely take an oath to protect and serve the lives of Americans. Now, a word from our sponsors and then our host. The opinions and views expressed on this show do not reflect those of our guests. Welcome to Crisis in America, PTSD and Veteran Suicide Show. I'm Colonel Mike Brown, United States Army retired. With us this evening is our special guest, Lieutenant Colonel Tim Maxwell, United States Marine Corps, retired, and his wife, Shannon Maxwell. I will introduce these two rock stars after my opening remarks. Today's interview is one man's triumph over his combat injuries, a serious traumatic brain injury that was occurred in Iraq war. You know, Lieutenant Colonel Maxwell is a prime example of a leader in action. He's a Marine's Marine. What could have ended his life just did the opposite, not only for him, but for thousands of other Marines. You don't want to miss this interview. I promise your spirits will be lifted by Colonel Maxwell's story of continued service to his nation. He has made it a lifetime goal to keep Marines, as well as all service members and veterans, full of purpose and meaning. Their lives continue to live today because of Colonel Maxwell's involvement. And his wife, Shannon, she is too an amazing woman a true confidant and patriot to her husband and to this nation. And she'll be joining the colonel during the interview. You know, the days and weeks after homecoming uh, from war can be filled with excitement. It can also be filled with relief and many other feelings. Reintegration following this homecoming feeling involves, you know, taking time for the veteran the family and the friends to become reacquainted. You know, it takes time to talk and listen to one another. This time period is to restore trust and support and closeness. And there may be times, even when the individuals and the returning veterans, they feel stress. They feel this uncertainty and this concern and this distance from one another. It's normal. It also may feel as if the service member is still fighting a war rather than truly being home. You know, all these emotions are, as I stated, a normal part of this readjustment period following a deployment to a war zone. Now, at first, these reactions may be difficult to deal with. And some service members have real difficult times, folks, and they struggle during their transitions back home, especially those with serious injuries who are facing an uncertain future. This will be the focus of our discussion today. 
What happens off the battlefield to our wounded warriors? And where do they go when they return to their home stations? What becomes their purpose and meaning in life after war, after service? You know, as we talk with Colonel Maxwell today and his wife, Shannon, I would like you to listen closely to the challenges and obstacles our sons and daughters face on the return home from a war zone or deployment. And I want you to listen. Listen to what our fighting men and women really need as they transition off the battlefield. Also, understand that service members respond to experiences in a war zone in different ways. You know, there's some service members report feelings of upset. Some feel keyed up, teed up, heated up, even after they return home. Some may continue to think about events that occurred in combat, sometimes even acting, even acting if they're back in a combat situation. Now, these are common. They're called combat stress reactions, or they're also referred to as acute stress reactions. They can last for days, weeks, months, years, and they are normal reactions to combat experiences. Now, I, I hope I frame that okay for you right now, because what I would like you to do now that you know a little bit about this and a little bit more of an understanding, what I would like you to understand and, and as we go forward is that sometimes I would say for the majority of times that troops during this time period I just explained can benefit and actually heal when they're around each other. And that's what you're going to hear today from Colonel Tim Maxwell. Right there at that very moment when these troops are bonding, where troops and their camaraderie within itself can lift them out of this darkness. You're going to hear that today. Here's what Tim Maxwell has to say about it. Here he, he states, they train together, they fight together. So if wounded, why shouldn't they go through recovery together? This is the question that Colonel Tim Wall asked. What a deep question. What a pertinent question. A question about fellow Marines being discharged from the hospital. It, one he pondered on. Because Marines, his Marines, were being left alone to recover from injuries of war. And we all know what's going on or what has been going on because of that. Leaving our folks alone to recover from injuries of war only leads to tragedy. Tragedy Colonel Tim Maxwell was not going to be a part of. You know, he should know as well. You know, while on his sixth combat tour. Uh, six combat deployments, America. Colonel Maxwell sustained a severe traumatic brain injury during a mortar attack in Iraq. And when he awoke later at Bethesda Naval Medical Center, doctors didn't think he would survive. The shrapnel that penetrated his skull inflicted severe damage to his brain impairing his vision and leaving him unable to talk or walk. Colonel Tim Maxwell and Shannon. Colonel Maxwell, it's great to have you on the show today. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for asking. 
Yes, it's great to have you. We're really excited about the show today and, and what you have to bring to our veteran and service members and the community at large. Let's just start it right off the bat. What happened to you in combat that caused your traumatic brain injury? And what were you thinking? And did you think it was the end? Did you think your life was going to change? And how did your wife become informed? I was hit by uh, motors in little, real little base camp. Started at an Army post there at uh, Kalsu. It was called Kalsu. Okay, um, so we we're in a little camp called Kalsu. Was actually named after a soldier I think was killed, if I remember correctly. And uh, we got mortared all the time, and you know sometimes twice in a day. One day I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And uh, I got a, actually I got to, got to say this, but I was, went to lunch at the chow hall and Whedon with flak and helmet on there because, you know, we get hit so much. And one day, that day I went back and I worked my tent and laid down to take my 10 minute power nap and woke up 14 days later. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't really know how it all mm. happens. And um, I didn't really understand where I was. Shannon was there with me and can, has told me it was pretty she, – she flew out to Germany because she found out – because it was an old five, right? So you get notified, higher chain of command quicker. And my colonel, Brian Johnson, called her directly and told her. That's how she found out, like probably within an hour of me being mad about And uh, so she was in, well, I went to someplace in Baghdad. Again, I wasn't awake for any of this. And they uh, had to do the surgery. They took a, took my skull off so my, my brain could swell. Wow. Apparently it swells the size of a, like a watermelon, like really big. And that's when they started saving our lives. Because prior to that, probably 2001 or they wouldn't have done that. It's a whole new concept. And so when your brain expands and you don't have your skull removed, um, there's nowhere for your brain to expand to. So it, you know, causes a lot more damage. So I say that because when she was in talking on the phone, she in the States talking to doctors out there, some said I'd be fine. And others said uh, I would never walk or talk or eat again. Uh, so and wasn't back there for quite a while, waiting for my brain to swell to go down. And Shannon flew to Germany and was there before I was. And then they flew me to Germany and they turned around and flew me right out within a 12, 12 hour period. And Shannon was on a um, plane loaded with wounded guys flying out. Um, then I started waking up at the hospital and yeah, it was called the Navy Bethesda hospital. And, uh, Really don't remember very much for quite a while. Remember they punched a Coke machine and rebroke my bow. <laughs> and I remember when they first time they put food in my mouth. Didn't like Pepsi, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of like wondering what I was doing there. Wasn't right. sure what the heck. So that's how it all started. Wow. You know, um, I, I think it's you mentioned a couple of things I think are worth noting. And, and one of those, these improved battlefield medicines, you know, soldiers, uh, in your case, Marines, 
who might have died in the past conflicts are now surviving many, many with multiple serious injuries that require you know, extensive, um, extensive rehabilitations, you know, especially with yours of traumatic brain injury. Big time. You know, big time, right? And, yeah. and on top of that, because of this survival rate, and, and maybe some people are uncomfortable talking about it, but I think it's important to talk about this road to recovery. Some of these service members, um, and, and you may join in on with this thought too, is that lose their physical strength, not only that physical strength that they lose, but they also, they can lose their hope, faith, perseverance and more um especially when they return back as, as you uh, have done yourself and, and we've talked about this uh once or twice uh before now you did something about this when you came uh, back from war injured and you, I, you called it i believe it was a wounded warrior barracks in camp lejeune north carolina uh, this is really important america for you to listen to this this is game-changing for our armed forces what happened here can you walk us through this from concept to execution and why it became so successful not just for the marines but we all know it was adopted by all the branches of the service in one form or fashion um i would i would try to uh, obviously it, my memory's not 100 so yeah gotcha but, um, I think I mentioned to you that when I was at M ICU, Shannon met uh, a general named Amos. He was eventually the commandant of the Marine Corps, but he was in charge of all Marines, East Coast, 2MEF. And he was very passionate about us Wonder Guys. And so that matters because when I got back, when I was home, I was actually invited to go to uh, some was it a Christmas party, Shen? And I went to that. I still had a helmet on my head because I was still missing a chuck of skull. Jeez. <laughs> mm, and then after that, after time went by, then, you know, he would keep checking up on us and he then would start checking me. As soon as the skull was back in, I was doing better. He believed, as I, as I understood it, he thought they'd be better to keep, keep working, to keep doing um, so he would take me on, on flights to visit other wounded guys. So we di I did that over time. And then, uh, and then I started visiting by myself. I was able to get up, uh, do certain things. I was fully functional physically at that time. And I would take planes, go up to the hospitals, and I would go around and visit wounded guys, meet their families, meet the girls, the guys. Um, pretty cool. And then I started realizing that when they got out of the hospital, they were sent home, but many didn't weren't sent home. They actually were sent to the barracks and the barracks, they were, their unit was still deployed and they were uh, pretty much by themselves. I even met some of who had been shot in the leg. He kept his leg, but he was still on the second deck and he had no. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Elevator. Elevator. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, so the kids, and remember when you deploy, I don't know, Army does the same, probably does, but the Marines, they take all your gear and you pack it up and you put it in storage. Yeah, same way. Yep. So when he got home, he had he had nothing, absolutely nothing. Everything's in the stores. And his headquarters, his battalion, or the higher-ups are still deployed to the combat zone. And of course, the youngsters don't want to bother that, you know, the, the boss guy. And he had a couple, just really hard for him all by themselves and so I started seeing that meeting him um, and that's kind of got my brain thinking but then things happen that just again stats don't match the possibility of this happened and I was really lucky I said what was the man's name from New York he came down General Barriga so he was a Marine of the days and he's in was a Barriga sorry I can't remember Names and words and stuff for projects. That, that's okay. General Berga. General Berga had come down to Camp Lejeune to work with us. I really don't know why he was down there, but he had nothing to do when he got there. And he heard about me, and so he tracked me down and said, hey, what are you doing? I said. General Amos had started a call center to try oh, to yeah, reach right. out to Wounded. Yeah. So General Lambs said created something called a call center so people can call with problems and confusions, whatnot. Um, anyway, so General Berga, General Berga checked the desk. What are you doing? I said, I'm trying to visit everybody I can visit and see what's going on. So he would, I couldn't drive or anything yet. So he'd come pick me up and I'd get in his car and we'd drive around and I'd show him what I'd seen, people I'd met. And he had about two weeks in North Carolina. And uh, he then wrote a recommendation. We had talked, of course, extensively about having the barracks for all the guys being in the same place. Um, I think my saying was something that being wounded sucks, and but when you're surrounding the other wounded, wounded guys, it, it, it sucks less. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. makes there's, sense. Yeah, there's more guys. Uh, so he wrote that up. We've given him bullet points from what you were saying, what you envisioned. Yeah, he, he did, right. Anyway, so he, then Jen Lamas, um, I guess agreed to that over a period of time. I can't remember the, how long it was. So the barracks, well initially what he did is we just put them, one of the guys in the barracks and we let their battalion commander, Jen Lamas let their battalion commanders choose whether they're still in, in Iraq, Afghanistan. And the idea was when they got and when they got back, the Marine would go back to that battalion. But until then, they just been this one barracks so the guys could hang out together. Nice. And uh, they were actually 
surprised me, not surprising, I guess, but I tell you what, those boys be up at two, three in the morning <laughs> all night, every night, and they couldn't sleep anyway. So I heard, I mean, of course, I wasn't invited to these parties of theirs, but they'd be up in a room, uh, all in the same room, watching movies and probably drinking too much beer. I don't know. But so it's working pretty good. But then the numbers grew and grew and grew and it got too big. And then um, at their short time, six months, within six months, there was a gunner star named Ken Barnes. He had been with me in Iraq. He got hit about a week or two after I got hit. Um, and I had been able to get, a, I had to get a higher command, a resume commander to release him from that regiment and come work with us in the barracks. Um, he was a key player. Without him, I don't, I don't know what we would have got done. And then uh, Chief Warrant Officer Chris Hedgecourt, he was with me also, and he got he got hit about a month before me. Wow. Um, and he was just bored. Man, he was just going crazy. He was CBO three, and he could pretty much do whatever he wanted, I guess. So he just started showing up every day. And so the three of us, you know, I couldn't even do eight hour days or nothing. I just do what I could, and they would kind of help the young Marines and give them rise and do stuff. Um, and we so after six months, so we just were swamped and we couldn't do anything for these Marines because they were too beat up. They're, they had no power. So, as you know, and most listeners probably know, is that command has control of all paperwork of medical records and all things have to be done by their personal command. And we had no command at all. And so we couldn't do anything with the record books. We couldn't help their with medical um, for anything. So went to General Amos. Well, then General Amos had left, actually. Um, so he had, I had been able to sneak in to see General Conway the day before he was commandant, actually. Mm -hmm. A lot of things happened that, again. Divine interventions. Divine interventions. Good, good yeah. yeah, amen. I found there was, I was in New York, I was in DC and I was in a hotel and some guy asked me, if he was a Marine back in the day, he's a cop now, if he want to ride. I said, uh, sure. So he took me to the White House and I called the White House and Pentagon, Pentagon sorry, Pentagon, not White House. And somebody called, there's a Marine, was a friend of his and he worked there with you on Conway. And so he met me at the front door and I was in uniform too. So it was okay to get in there. And anyway, he walked me to John Conway's office, which I could never possibly find. In that maze. <laughs> and I sit in the front desk was uh, Odie. What's the last name? Van Opdorp. Odie Van Opdorp with a fellow lieutenant colonel. had just happened to have orders working there. And I poke my head in the front desk and there's Odie. So that obviously is very helpful. because Yeah. People are saying, what are you doing here? And then uh, he went in. General Conway happened to be in that day, pretty high up. He's not always sitting at his office. Yeah, exactly. And I saw him, John Conway, and then so that's the first time I saw John Conway after I got whacked. And then when I talked to him about the regiment, was well, shortly thereafter, I had actually physically requested to see him. He invited me. I was officially permitted. Went in and uh, told him what I thought about the command structure, and I think I showed, him, I gave him examples of Marines who would not. Got what it would have got if they had a, a proper command structure for one of the guys. Uh, and then, you know, he took command a couple of days later, and suddenly there's the Wounded Warrior Regiment. Wow. I'm assuming that the discussion we had 
uh, which was about 10 minutes long. I'm, that had something to do with that. Nice. That's kind of how it all worked together. It all folded up into a organized organization in the Marine Corps. Now, I, I, America, just just kind of comprehend that. You know, you kind of ask FDR, so well, where did these service members go to recover before this? Now, I, I can't speak totally on the Marines, but, you know, generically, I probably can speak to it. If not their unit, you know, what Colonel was talking about, they'd go to these barracks uh, once they return home. Well, for the most part, these unfortunates, uh, these well-deserving uh, members of our armed forces were sent, you know, either back to, I know for the army, like back to medical facilities or medical hold or holdover units with little or no support from their home units. And in most cases, the injured were discharged from service with no comprehensive medical management or career educational assistance or an assessment, maybe even to reclass into other job fields in their branches of service. So basically they were kind of discarded from their units. And eventually, in most cases, from what my understanding back in that time when I was in, you know, they were actually discharged from service and they entered the civilian world with, you know, very little recovery plans or any type of uh, transition mechanisms in place. What you heard Colonel Maxwell do is, is regroup, literally regroup a function and turn it into an organization. So all those things I just said were made possible for those Marines. And I bet you many of them probably were reintegrated back into the service. And if they did go out, they had some type of transition and not just left sitting there. Am I right? I'm not sure if I'm right or wrong there. Can I say, can I say that when I was in Germany, Shannon tells me that they tried to process me at the Marine Corps while I was in Germany. Yeah. It was right, right when we got back to. Oh, so yeah. left back to the States. In the States, but it was the VA. She hadn't been there with me, which most guys don't have a, a you know, wife who's going to work with, save your butt. Um, they probably would have processed me out. But what had happened, they apparently, the, com- the current commandant of the Marine Corps said, and Shannon had seen in the news, they were going to let me, well, Shannon told me. They, they were going to allow wounded service members to have some time to recover before talking about discharge. So they were yeah. limited duty. Right. I mean, good. And so Shannon punked out the people with the paperwork trying to process me on the Marine Corps. <laughs> yeah. And, but, you know, and, and you know, Fortunately, you know, you, you were able to stay, but I, I've heard of many cases that wasn't it, you know, at no, least no. For, for the army that these guys were no, no. You know, left yeah. to drive because they didn't have the camaraderie. They didn't have the, no. um, you know, their units there supporting or backing them. They were kind of left out in limbo, yeah, you yeah. know, and oh, their yeah. other units were usually in combat or they were coming back from combat or they were in training or they were on leave or whatever, they just were stuck in these hold units and nowhere to go. And what you have here is a brilliant, brilliant senior leader in the Marine Corps who's, who's combat injured himself with a traumatic brain injury, serious traumatic brain injury, a life-threatening injury, who comes home, America, and says, hey, this doesn't make sense. 
and changes something. And this was a big change. This wasn't something that you just have a feeling about. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes teams of teams to put together. And it takes blood, sweat, and tears. You know, what, what message were you trying to send by setting up this facility? Not only to the Marines, but, you know, for their families in the community and to our nation. I mean, you were, what was the message? That's a tough question, I guess. I didn't yeah. think of it as a message. Really, it was really just working on the youngsters that were, yeah, like you, like you said, that they would process them out so fast and make their heads spin. I guess the message I tried to send was to the medical community that you can't give a drug and kick a dude out the door. That doesn't work. For most injuries like mine and I think everyone's, you don't heal. It's not like a car wreck where you broke your leg and it heals. Combo wounds, you never heal. It never, it never goes away. You need to physically and mentally, you need to remember that I'm not, I didn't used to be a wounded warrior. I am one, man. I'm, I'm you know, so it doesn't go away. And what I heard Tim say time and time again, too, is essentially you have worth. You may not, your mission may change, but you still have a mission. And that's, that's so true. Right. I, I hate it. And I'm, I'm with you. And I think America needs to understand we are not discarded just because we are injured. If that was the case, folks, in, in America, I just want to throw a couple stats out at you. In a recent Wounded Warrior Project study, and this is recent, folks, and this is from the Iraqi and Afghani war period, you know, 92.6% have experienced a severe mental injury. That's huge. And almost 95.1% experienced a severe physical injury during their military service. That's back, neck, shoulder, TBIs, knees, whatever consisted of. If that's the case, then you wouldn't, you're, you're trying to say that our military service discounts us for any service in our society afterwards. And that's nonsense. It, it would be arguable, too, that we can't reclassify within our branches and perform a different job and have that assessment period. And what you said, Colonel Maxwell, is that, and you, Shannon, I believe said it too, was that a period of recovery should be taking place to reassess what if they would have took you know colonel maxwell would have been discharged you know and this wouldn't have happened and this cascading effect of all these other branches of service who set up their own warrior regiments uh recovery regiments transition battalions uh medical battalions that set up after this you know case in point here is that we our warriors, we do get injured, just like an athlete would on a bat, on a on a football field or, or a professional football field, a basketball field, whatever. We can recover, and we have use, and, and we need to be looked at, not discarded, looked at for betterment. We have more to offer, and I think you did a great job putting a stopgap on that. And, and I thank you for my service, my branch of service, the Army, for allowing us to install our our own um warrior transition battalions yeah thank you i'll see it i told the youngsters when when it started i said that then uh, in 10 years well i didn't say it's exactly but you know the marines aren't going to understand this and so they're going to hate it they're going to wish they got now and they're going to say wish it the day i got out of the hospital i should be a matter of fact left that you know become a civilian again they're not going to understand it 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere wear with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus but the, still the right thing the transition slow they're not made to get out they're not forced out actually there's one room we know must both legs both the knee totally blind um he actually got staying he stayed in the marine corps that was a choice of his now he didn't stay very long because he didn't have any, could no, no real missions. But still, the idea is that it's your choice. You're not being forced out. You can stay in. And the youngsters, happens in the years past, knew that how bad it was to get booted out. Um, nowadays, not nowadays, but later on, the the youngsters didn't didn't realize how lucky they were. They got to choose that. Well, but, and I and I think another thing that we don't want to see ever again either is, you know, and, and I think we talked about this last week, sir, that after the congressional interest and in media coverage regarding all those deficiencies related to the medical care for at least the Army folks back at Walter Reed Army Medical Center back in 2007, the poor care and treatment in the facilities that were out there. Here, at least, we have accountability now. We have leadership. The Wounded Warrior Regiment to me, it provides that leadership and that compliance and that place Absolutely. for support and recovery and even non-medical care for the combat and even the non-combat, I would imagine, uh, wounded, ill, and injured Marines um, and your sailors uh, that are attached to you, plus your family members, uh, maximizing the recovery and the return to duty or transition to civilian life. I think it's that structure and that predictability and that consistency for not only the Marine, but his family and, and those that are in his support network is, is just phenomenal. Well done, sir. Well done. Thank you. Um, hey, hey, talk to us a little bit about Shannon, your wife, big supporter. I, I read that she's a writer and uh, the book's called Our Daddy's Invincible. And it's a book about recovery. What's that it, all about? It is. Um, when when I got hit, the, our two two kids we had, our daughter was ten, and our, our son was se- uh, seven. And you know, let, that's freaking confusing when you're that age. When suddenly your dad's at the you know feed your dad and hold his hand and stuff. Uh, so kind of trying to explain the process and that the injuries, while painful to everybody everything will get better and things will be better and be patient and just have love. I think um, but she, she wrote it, not me. That's for sure. Cause I couldn't have written nothing that night. Nice. 
it's uh it's it's an amazing it's an amazing story one that is uh should be i, I know you're proud of and your children are proud of yeah we uh, got a funny got a facebook i think it's facebook the other day from uh wife of a marine in okinawa and saw it at the library so that's pretty cool that that's pretty cool and in the kids section of course <laughs> but the marine i'm sure guys are reading and the pictures and the pictures in that book were drawn by liza uh, biggers you gotta say again liza biggers liza biggers yes and her brother was wounded in iraq and did not survive oh so we met actually at a, we were working on a caregiver manual. Together. Oh, wow. So, you know, so. Another tribute. That's a important, I think, to America that, you know, how important is our caregiver communities, our spouses, our children, uh, our significant others, you know, our friends, uh, that network um, of folks who day in and day out are the backbone behind our our service members um, that are serving our country, those sons and daughters of our nation who serve our country greatly. Uh, let's not let's not be remiss to mention the caregivers who put 110% right behind them, um, who are the quiet ones um, behind the scenes. I, I encourage you, uh, how can someone get a copy of Our Daddy is Invincible? Um, I found it in the send uh, in uh, Amazon. I just looked it up and Amazon and popped up. Great. We don't we're not really don't know much about the selling of it, which is all awesome. right. Well, folks out there, our daddy is invincible. It's a book on recovery and uh, written by uh, Colonel Tim Maxwell's wife Shannon, um, illustrated by Liza Biggers. Liza, Liza Biggers. Liza Biggers. Uh, a tribute to those that have uh, given it all in, in defense of our nation. You and Shannon started Zemper 5 Farm, a veteran-run working farm. Um, I need to come out there, by the way, in beautiful Southwest Virginia Blue Ridge Highland region. Talk to us about the farm and its purpose, and how can someone reach out to you and get help with the farm? Well, here's another <laughs> the thing that happened that we had not planned for. It just sort of happened. We were... I just wanted to move out of the city, get out of D.C. I hate D.C. I think that's where the devil lives. I just hated it there. So when our son got out of his senior high school, I actually been looking for like two years prior to that, trying to find any place in the world, didn't matter where to me. Um, and we just kind of ran across this farm. And at the time, we weren't really a farm. It was a house with a lot of land. So for a lot of reasons, we decided to go ahead and move here, not too far from where we used to live up in there, Quantico, Virginia. Again, things sort of fell in place. So we, we, had to, we had some guys come and look at the land, see if they wanted to use the land, you know, rent out land to store their, their cows. We know nothing about farming. We've never had cows or sheep or we've had dogs. That's about it. Uh, but, the, you know, really good country people, man. They're just so friendly and so helpful. And this one uh, one younger man with his, was with his dad said, no, you don't have any fence up. But, you know, the government will help you kind of put a fence. I said, you're kidding me. And he told me what to do. And we had to tell Shannon what to do because I can't do any of that stuff. And we looked it up and tracked it down. And 
He was right, and they did it, and they paid us to put fences up so that the cows couldn't poop in the creek. <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> I said, you got to be kidding me. But, okay, so we got, we get fence. And then I learned how to build some other fence. And then the Marine that I knew from being a wounded guy, drove up from Texas, and he and I threw some fences up, and neither one of us had ever done it. We just watched our own videos and go out and pound some dirt and, and then we bought some sheep and they ran away the day I got them, <laughs> which is real good, you know, but we, we got them back in a couple months. <laughs> about that. I mean, we just, we basically do everything wrong to learn how to not do it. And then we try to do it right. Hey, that's the old fashioned way, right? I guess so. I think so. <laughs> and so we started inviting the vets come and work in it anytime. Uh, and they, they, they come, not not too many, which is good for me, honestly, but it's been cool. A lot of people have come, a lot of work has been done, a lot of fence been put up. Um, we feed the cows and feed the sheep, and so it's really good for me. It was not the plan where we came here, but not having something to do is brutal for me. It's the worst possible thing for me, but here I've always got something to do, always. I, I bet you it's reciprocal, too, to those that veterans that come out to you as well is that one thing I, I and I know it's 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 well studied and it's been coming out is a lot of loneliness amongst our vets community uh, a, a lot of veterans believe they've lost purpose and meaning in their lives this keeping busy having hands-on finishing a project or getting involved in doing something getting up in the morning just on a farm and having a task at hand that you're going to complete at the end of the day or part of the task at the end of the day has to be important to them when they, when they finish, Absolutely. I would imagine. Yeah. I met a, a new Marine uh, Sergeant, Alan Beaton. And Alan had told me once that if he didn't have the horses in his arm, he would have killed himself. He's sure of it. Yeah. Now he's got a wife and kids and everything is doing good, but you know, that phase went through he's on a, on kind of a horse farm. Uh, his dad was in Nam too, in a two combat, two parts from, from Vietnam. So he had background, I mean, kind of understood it and knew about it, but still when he got home, just very disconcerting. It wasn't physically wounded, he just saw too much death. Yeah. And that was probably what the initiator got me thinking about it, but again, we didn't thought about it until we got here. I didn't I didn't think I'd be able to do it all. I'm pretty, I'm pretty so confident guy. I, can, I don't know nothing about farming, so I had to learn about tractors and second tractors and third tractors and money and the money and money. And, <laughs> <laughs> when, I went to, when I went to the Army War College, uh, I, I literally rented a room on a farmhouse. To get to see that every day and to get to rekindle that, uh, that spirit you find on a farm, it, it's exhilarating, but it's, you look like you do some hard work there. Yeah. You know, and, and rewarding work at the same time. You look like you have some fun when, you, when you're doing rewarding, that. Yeah, rewarding later in the night when the sun's down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Good for me. It's really good. I call it therapy. That's why I tell people it really is. And I think that the, some of the guys that have come before, we've had, we've had a few who had a lot of suicidal ideation. They come here. It's just idyllic, beautiful. The creek yeah. turning through it. They can trout fish um but they they come to help tim 
And I think yeah. we had some guys look at Tim and say, well, he can do it. Like, you know, that's I right. You're a model. You're, you're a model. Um, you're an example. You're a leader. Um, you're approachable. You're a vet. I mean, you're, you're a father, you know, you're a husband. And, and you went through the ringer showing new life and new ways of doing things, you know, that are even foreign to you and you're doing them. I mean, did you ever think in your career you're going to stand up a barracks for recovering wounded warriors? <laughs> I mean, who, who signed up for that after your, your commissioning source? I, you know? Yeah, I was definitely. Uh, but, you know, all this stuff is clues about me. I, yeah. I've always been a strong, strong believer in camaraderie. And I think that yeah. togetherness with others is the key to all things. Amen. You wound the guys or not wound the guys. If I hadn't ever gotten a battalion, my number one goal would have been camaraderie for those in my, my uh, battalion. Because that's what that's what wins wars. And that's what saves lives later. And, yeah. and medical community just wasn't getting that. Yeah, I, I say I say the same thing. It's all about people. It's all about relationships. And that camaraderie is the stitch, man. I'm going to quote you here. You stated, and I quote, I have learned that being alone is the worst. Those who stay in their service, regardless of their frustration, are better than those who live alone. But we can't be in the military forever. At some point, we have to get out. And as most of you already know, being a civilian again is hard, real hard, end of quote. So you and your wife started the Zemper Max Support Fund. Can you elaborate on this and why? We were focused on exactly what that statement says that, uh, well, boils down to suicide. Happiness, too. Um, but suicide, I, I tell people that death in combat is, is brutal. But to me, suicide gets me worse. It's harder for me to deal with that because it shouldn't be that way. It should be so much easier. And so we started kind of having events, having got people come in. And Shannon would put together some um, counselors. or we, We'd done many different ways. Um, Sometimes, honestly, counselors, we had the barracks initially, we had a counselor that was so bad that all the Marines were basically chewing the counselor out, but they're all doing it at the same time. So I said, it's working. So kind of the same concept, like they're all talking about the same thing at the same time. That's good. That means that they're communicating with others. And so we'd have this conversation classes and chanted multiple different types separate the husbands and the wives and, and have get togethers you know a night sit at the bar and watch uh once one one year at the super bowl season sitting there and watching super bowl and just togetherness with some education slid in there a little bit uh, and then as i grew the foundation just kind of kept started as nothing and then just kind of kept growing uh, we've at the end, Shannon pretty much ran spouses for spouses because mm -hmm. those who stick with their husband, wives who stayed for their no, no, uh, husband who stayed for the wives, they they come together and, and, and talk about it. What's like to have a spouse been uh, pretty jacked up physically or mentally. And uh, so that was towards the end, the biggest thing and that just stopped because of covid we don't know if we're going to pick that back up again, but Thomas running by. We're kind of busy in the farm, to be quite honest. But that's kind of how it started, and we did a lot of things for a lot of. We actually once in guys the military Olympics. You know about that? They do these 
Wonder Warrior Olympics, they call it, I guess. Yes, yes. Yeah, yep. so we've, we've helped a couple of things on that, and we've had helped some other people here and there. But mostly it's just camaraderie, just trying to get, you know, have foundations and uh, uh, veterans to just, hang out together. Yeah, just trying to break the isolation since the, especially the folks with traumatic brain injury and PTS, they tend to isolate. So getting them together while we think there is a benefit in talk therapy, sometimes that can be re-traumatizing. And it does seem whenever we had these gatherings and these guys had similar injuries and similar experiences, or at least they knew what each other was talking about, they were able to more freely vocalize that and then start working through it and share resources. And so that was always a component of our of Sempermax as well as, as not only bringing people together, but the sharing of resources um, creating the peer mentor so that when they leave us, they have built those relationships that they can tie into. And um, the caregivers have linked up. They have Facebook groups. And I think the veterans that have come to us also keep in touch. Yeah, you, Shannon, that's a great point. Uh, this, and I go back to loneliness uh, affiliated with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, moral injury. You know, I put that in the same category um, that, you know, to get out, stop isolating. um, And a lot of isolation is due to loneliness. And uh, America, I want to remind you, too, that loneliness is a big issue within our military. It it represents uh, way higher than the norm uh, in society. Way higher. I I think that the, the stats that I read. 68% 68% for men uh, that were s- surveyed and, and women was even higher um, for, from, the, from the Iraqi and the Afghanistan war. Um, they're, they're very high numbers. Um, that was just surveyed for the first time over the last year. So uh, big deal, man, out there. You know, anything you can do in your communities for involvement, um, just like Shannon and, and uh, Tim are doing, uh, Colonel Maxwell uh, is doing, yeah, I encourage you. I encourage you to invite your veteran community, uh, your service member community in your areas to get involved. Uh, they need it. Uh, they really need it. Well, we have, what I have been pitching to everybody the whole time is that you don't call a wounded, no, any veteran and tell them you're, you're here to help them because to need help is embarrassing in the military. Yes. What you That's need to tell them point. is that you need help and ask this vet if they can help you. And then they will. They will help others, but they will refuse help themselves. And so yeah, what a great point. we've seen too many times that – and we, we've actually known vets who are actually locked themselves in the bedroom and, you know, the guns inside the bedroom and all that stuff. And everybody's – you know, scared to death to do anything. And I, I, I say that you need to have his drill instructor from the boot camp days uh, go up and bark and say, let's go. I need your help. We got to attack the objective. And I will sit, share, I don't know if we will be able to share this with the folks, but we've always, I have more passion about than Shannon this one thing, I think, but they need to have missions that are no kid missions. Like, not like, little things, but like big things, like a group of veterans, um, corpsmen and medics to fly to, to Haiti and feed 
and do medical care of simple things to the Hades who have no medical care. Not they don't have good medical care. Like in America, we walk around complaining because we don't have good medical care. Oh, you they, go to Haiti. <laughs> they have none. Exactly. Don't we shut up? So no, that, you're good. I mean, I don't know if you're you're asking Shannon. I'm sorry, yeah, Shannon. Yeah, asking <laughs> you're asking the real chief of staff there. Haiti's. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I told you that me and a senior chief, Navy chief, flew out there to Haiti. And you see nothing but misery out there, really miserable. Uh, they're doing a lot of good things. A lot of foundations are doing some amazing things for houses. Uh, but in the cities, are really brutal. And I thought, you know, if we had a dozen, heck, two dozen, flew them out there, put up a couple of tents, you know, go to the pharmacy here local and take buy everything you want and take it over there and do medical stuff that Navy and Army medics corpsmen can do. By God, they, they thank God to come. I mean, literally, because there's nothing there. You know, you've seen the stories about you know, dentists come and pull out the teeth because they have rotten teeth because there's no dentist there. It's worse than that. So missing like that is what we cannot make that happen, of course. I'm too jacked up. but That's a great call for action, America, was what you're, you're hearing today. I, I think what you need to look at real deeply is those words from Colonel Maxwell uh, that – if you're a part of those types of organizations that have the resources and the mission set to do that, you have a core of folks willing, I'm sure, if asked appropriately, um, as mentioned by Colonel Maxwell uh, today, that ask for their help. You know, COVID is over with. All right, let's stop the isolation. Let's get back to action. And we have many folks that are willing to get back and do the business at hand. And we can solve two, two things at once, right? And our suicide crisis and the loneliness and the isolation and the grief and the, and the misery. And at the same time, bring humanity back to number one thing on our agenda. All right. Hey, sir, final words, your thoughts. Anything. I've got so many things in my head. I can't even think of what to say. So we. That's okay. We probably don't have anything worth saying at the end. Uh, just thank you for sharing, spreading the word, and uh, hope the vets will take action, do better, and uh, quit feeling like they're wimping out. You know, it's not their fault. You need to. You got to own up. You need to quit sitting around and drinking booze for breakfast. You need to come on out and work on the farm or volunteer somewhere or do something sitting around ain't good for you well america today's interview is is one man's triumph over his own combat injuries that he suffered in an iraqi war you've heard today from colonel maxwell and he's a prime example of leadership in action he's a marine's marine and what could have ended his life it just did the opposite not only for him but for thousands of other marines and for others in this nation yeah, um, this was a great interview. I, I can't thank you enough for you and Shannon for participating today. You have lifted the spirits of many across America. You have changed the way we deal with suicide in this country and bringing purpose and meaning back to our service members and our veterans community. Um, you have made it. I can tell a lifetime goal to keep marines and all service members of veterans full of purpose and meaning 
I thank you. We thank you here at the show. Thank you, Shannon and Colonel Maxwell. Thank you very much. You're welcome. It was great talking to you. Thank you. You too. You know, in the aftermath of a wound, an illness, or an injury, a Marine may need assistance identifying the resources available to them. You know, the ideal approach is to return recovering Marines to their parent or operational units as quickly as their medical conditions permit. According to Colonel Maxwell, as you heard today, to stay in the fight is what makes the Marine Corps care model so successful. You know, before Colonel Maxwell's initiative, the model wasn't very successful at all, as discharges were the norm for these injured Marines. In fact, this was the unsuccessful model for the entire Department of Defense. It was like their service didn't matter. They were forgotten. They were constant, constant levels of miscare of our service members who were fighting in our wars, only to come home to isolation and loneliness and excessive discharges from duty and service. Colonel Maxwell fully understood the critical need, as you heard today as well, for ongoing support during this recovery from a life-changing injury. So what did he do? He began a new mission to find a place where Marines could stay together on their journey to recovery. And he convinced his leadership of that need. You heard that. Convinced General Amos to have housing that would allow injured Marines and sailors to recuperate in a supportive environment. This type of persistence and perseverance is needed across America for our veteran community. It's a call to action. Call Colonel Maxwell knew was his calling. It was his time. It was his place. That's how it works, America. That's how it works. You know, almost one year after a devastating combat injury, he talked about, we've talked about, Maxwell's vision for a special home where service members could be healed together was realized one year proclaimed as Maxwell's Hall. The first barracks for wounded warriors was opened in 2005. It paved the way, folks. It still exists today and has expanded. Take the colonel's lead and find that means to make your Maxwell Hall in your communities. He's shown you how it can be done. You know, whether one has PTSD, a traumatic brain injury, or an amputation, each Marine or service member has their own journey and their own path back to health. In this case, each Marine, for most of these types of conditions, their paths will likely converge at wounded warrior battalions across America. And this was all made possible by one man's vision. That is Colonel Maxwell. Can't say it enough. And with this great support from his wife, Shannon, they changed the way the entire Department of Defense manages the health care, morale, and well-being of our warriors who defend this country. Maxwell's accomplishments became a catalyst for reform of our other wounded warrior programs throughout DOD. What Colonel Maxwell has done is provided commensurate quality of life quality of health care, quality of leadership, and he's ensured service members receive 
the appropriate medical care and administrative processing that is needed, all possible for our service members to return to duty. Or if they cannot, they can return to their communities and their families in a timely manner with respect and dignity. Marine Corps have a rich heritage. We know this. And what the Marine Corps did was uphold its commitment to keep faith with Marines, uphold earning the title of Marine. Each new Marine made the commitment to uphold the Corps' model, always faithful. On that day, the Marine Corps also made a commitment to each Marine that the Marine Corps will always be faithful to them. That day was the day Colonel Maxwell got Maxwell Hall operational. And no matter what happens, the Corps and their fellow Marines will always be taken care of from here on out. You know, the ultimate fulfillment of that commitment is embodied in these wounded warrior battalions, the regiment. And it shows every Marine that they will keep faith with them. The Marines will keep faith with their Marines from the yellow footprints to the grave. The Marine Corps has made an enduring commitment to keep faith with those who have sacrificed greatly. And it all started by one Marine, Lieutenant Colonel Tim Maxwell. Crisis in America, PTSD and Veteran Suicide Show, along with KGRA Digital Radio, salutes Colonel Maxwell for his service to the nation, his commitment to help other wounded warriors while overcoming his own obstacles of living with the TBI, and his achievements in helping others realize the importance of continued purpose, meaning, and hope during the entire recovery process. And we also thank Shan for being a lifeline, continuing supporting an advocate for our veteran community and for believing in Colonel Tim Maxwell. If no one has told you today that they love you, well, I love you. Stay strong, stay connected, and stay vigilant. God bless our veterans. God bless our military and first responders. And God bless the United States of American old glory. And I quote, my strength and mission in life is that I give people hope. Lieutenant Colonel Tim Maxwell. Thank you for listening to Crisis in America PTSD. All veterans, first responders, or potential guests, we would love to hear from you. Please email your comments to Colonel Mike Brown. That's brown.mike734 at gmail.com. Once again, brown.mike734 at gmail.com.